Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poolin, and joining me, my co-host, John Duke. A quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live for the entire show. And I'm at at CSL underscore Justin and John is at CSL underscore Duke as well as the entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio. All right, John, the streak comes to an end. Uh, last night, the Boston Celtics fall to the Denver Nuggets. I, I had been on a hot streak. I called the first five games. Uh, I did not call the injuries to Jay Crowder and Al Horford, which certainly are holding this team back as well. But they gave a better run, and and even then, I, you always feel like Cleveland had another gear. But they gave a better run against Cleveland than I expected the, them to once we heard about the injuries. But I thought they would lose that game. But Moutier going off for 22 points in last night's game against the Nuggets in the first quarter was a huge surprise. Well, it wasn't just the I think the 22 points in the first quarter. I mean, it was it was the it was the 22 points, but the way he got them. I mean, Moutier, not unlike Dwayne Wade, not unlike Rajon Rondo. I mean. We've seen this story told over and over and over again at this point in this season where the guy who who was almost famous for not being able to make a shot is drilling three-pointers like they're Larry Bird and Ray Allen's love child. And it's just – it's sickening at this point. You know, you get so frustrated. I mean, at some point – you know, some of those shots, you just tip your cap to them. You really do. And what can you do? You know, it's just – they're making them. But then you start to wonder, like, okay, is there something more to this? The fact we've seen this twice in 10 days, the fact that it's Moutier and, and Dwayne Wade's done it against other guys, and he's a, he's an all-star, a Hall of Fame player, but Emmanuel Moutier, really? Um, the effort wasn't there tonight, that light. I mean, it just it wasn't, and it hasn't been there so far this season. And I think a lot of Celtics fans, myself included, are, are at least starting to ask the question is, not only are, we know the Celtics defense hasn't been up to the challenge so far this year, but is it is it more than just the fact that we're missing some guys? Is it more than just Crowder's out, Horford's out, Olenek's out? We've missed a lot of Marcus Spart this year. Is that is it is it the absences and, and you know still trying to fit Smart back into things, or is this team just not as good as we thought it was going to be? No, I think it is the absences. I mean, it's still too early. I think the frustrating thing for me is I was really expecting a more stable lineup to finish out last year, beginning this season, with the exception of swapping out Al Horford for Jared Sullinger. And here we are sitting at 503 and three. And really, it doesn't look a whole lot different than the beginning to last season. Now, the beginning to last season, there was no excuses. And I understand they're pro athletes, they're all pros, no excuses. But when you talk about the defense, come on, Horford and Crowder, that's a pretty big impact. And their leading rebounder is Avery Bradley. I mean, look, the stud can only do so much. I mean, I'd, I'd venture that he has performed better than Isaiah Thomas. If you were to take the best player on this team through six games, to me, it's unquestionably Avery Bradley. 
I, no, I think you're right. I mean, and that's not a slight against Isaiah. I think Isaiah's played well. I don't think he's done anything poorly. I don't think he's really been a, you know, been a, a real loss for the team, perhaps. But I don't think that, you know, I think Bradley's certainly his scoring, his ability to, uh, move the ball and, and play make a bit. I mean, he's done, a, he's, he's doing a whole bunch of things that he hasn't done. Having said that, you know, you, you do look at all the pieces that have returned and you say, okay, what is it here that isn't working? And while Bradley's doing those things on the offensive end, is he bringing the same attention to the defensive end? And, you know, I'm not sure where, the, you know, we can answer that question right now, but, you know, looking at, at the early going here, I mean, right now his defensive rate is 115. That means he's given up 115 points for every 100 possessions he's on the floor. Now, does that mean it's his it's his fault? No, it's a team effort. But certainly, when his team is on the floor, when he's out there, his team isn't carrying its weight. So I'm not right. I'm not pointing the finger at Avery Bradley. I'm not saying he's sloughing off defensively. I don't think in five games or six games we can really say that. But I think we have to at least say. Look, this is a team-wide issue, and and no one is immune from from criticism at this point. You no, know, and I think also I think Avery Bradley's just carrying too much of the weight. That's yep. that's one of the major concerns for me. And when you see the pace of play, that sometimes you know when you see the offensive rebounds, that's what's contributing to that number too. And it has nothing to do with Avery Bradley's perimeter defense. However, the perimeter defense has not been good. But you have to think it's in the game plan. You look at that first game that you mentioned already against the Chicago Bulls. Hell, look at the second one just this past Wednesday in the rematch. It was almost like the bad mojo or whatever the fix went in reverse because it was a reverse jinx because then Amir Johnson goes four for four from beyond the arc against the Bulls. And they said afterwards, that's not in the, that wasn't in the game plan. Of course it wasn't, but neither was protecting Rondo, Wade, and Butler out at the three point line. Interestingly though, there's no presence down low for this Celtics and I don't just mean rebounding it is a huge issue just look I did the post game show after the Cleveland game with Patrick Gilroy just look at that the way that they stacked three guys all hedged to the same side of the court on perimeter defense one was going to float over if they did the swing pass around the edge but at the end of the day, they didn't do anything to protect the paint. And yeah, sure, Bradley and Thomas eventually made them pay a little bit by weaving through some defenders. But that perimeter pressure was incredible, and it has everything to do with the fact that they have nobody who can operate in the post. And they're not going to, with the exception of Al Horford. He's the only one. Even when Kelly Olynyk comes back, he'll make some nice passes, and he may space it out. But the way that Cleveland defended Boston isn't going to change when Kelly Olynyk's in the lineup. They're still going to just post three guys out on the perimeter unless Al Horford is eating them alive. I was also on the show Sunday morning with Larry H. Russell, and he wanted to throw out some potential trade names for players that we actually got to see tonight uh, or mm-hmm. last night against the Nuggets. You look at Jokic and Nurkic, those two players, especially Nurkic, Pretty, pretty, com- well, no, both of them pretty comfortable getting up and down the floor and having the ball in their hand, but also some sweet moves along the baseline. There was a spin move I, I saw, I believe it was Jokic who did that one, but at the end of the day, we need somebody 
who can play a little bit in the post. I'm not asking for Al Jefferson and no defense. I'm just asking for a player who, all right, maybe maybe 30% from three-point land, but some nice moves inside to just make keep the defense honest, for God's sakes. Well, it does go back to, you know, if, if you do make moves at this point and you go for someone like Nokic or Jokic, what what's the goal, right? I mean, we talked about this last week on the show, and I think a lot of people are starting to, to kind of clue in on this. We have two teams right now. We have a, a Jalen Brown, uh, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart on the, on the edges of that team. And then we have a, an Isaiah Thomas Al Horford team. And, and they are maybe not going in the same direction. And at some point, there's going to have to be a choice. And, and you've said, I think often is, you know, you think, you know, we need to, we need to stay with this group we have and, and build within that. And Jokic, all both of those guys kind of go with that. The only issue with trying to get either of those guys is that you're probably going to have to use assets like the coming up, the upcoming Nets pick or maybe two Nets picks to get one of those two, especially Jokic. And I'm not sure you do that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if you wait now, kind of going along that same line, the guy that I'm looking at tonight that fits in more of the Isaiah Thomas Al Horford world of things is Kenneth Fareed. He's on the outs. He's a guy who, who's, you know, Denver has had on the block. And apparently there's a bit of buyer's, well, I don't know, maybe non-seller's remorse in the fact that didn't move uh, Danilo Gallinari a year ago. And perhaps they could have gotten a good amount for him. So I think maybe Denver is more willing to move things than, than we would have thought. Uh, can you get both guys with what the Celtics have on the roster without taking a huge hit to their core? No. I think it would take a big hit. I think they'd lose some of those future assets. But does that move you move the needle? I think if you went for Fareed, probably not. I think you it would make the team better. It doesn't mean they pull them out of a larger scale effort. Maybe a Memphis pick and, and you know some of the middle tier players on the roster. I think that's something you could stand to to deal for Kenneth Fareed. He's only owed twelve million a year for the next three years, or or two years on top of this one, which is a, quite frankly a ridiculous bargain. His his numbers are really. Sounds right like back something Danny Ainge been. might be interested in. I think so. I a think ridiculous bargain. <laughs> he's so good at that, right? It's yeah. almost like he couldn't make this trade because they would know, well, hold on, we're not giving you a ridiculous bargain again, even just contractually. Even if the assets you're trading us are worth the trade, nope, we're not going to do it because it'll be another ridiculous bargain on your roster and we'll get slammed for it. Who knows? But... Fareed definitely gives the Celtics something that they could use in the in the lineup that they don't have. And I think that's really what we're talking about. Maybe you shore it up with a rotation player, not necessarily a night-in and night-out starter. And maybe he would be, but my point is, rather than trying to swing big and, and give up a whole lot of talent, I mean, outside of somebody like Anthony Davis, right, outside of a move like that, it doesn't, or, or Boogie Cousins, you know, maybe, but, but, not, outside of that, maybe just shore up the rotation and not give up too much. All those other names are going to require the Celtics quite likely. Jalen Brown is going to come up as the first asset that has to go in a package for Cousins or a Davis. You can almost count on it. No question. Yeah, no question. And I don't think that's 
even in the frame of reference. I mean, nobody's moving right now. That's not a that's not a slight against Danny Ainge. No one is being traded right now. The 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 big guys aren't moving. The the days of sealing, you know, Carmelo Anthony and Darren Williams and 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 Dwight Howard moved. I mean, right now we're in a, we're in a very stagnant period, and, and perhaps people are waiting for the CBA to clear itself out. But really, it's been a long time since we've seen any deals of any sort of magnitude happen at the NBA level, other than maybe the, the Kevin Love deal, which was a complete freak of nature due to the fact of you know Cleveland winning the the, the number one pick and then LeBron and the whole thing. So it's going to be really tough i think to to change that culture but maybe once the cba gets locked in it seems to me the Celtics are gonna have to make that choice once they know what the cba is they're gonna have to make that choice of what are we going to do and it's going to be very difficult to hold on to kelly olenic does that mean you're more likely to move him do you really think you want to be a player in free agency uh you know that's to me, that's really where the question is, is if you think you're going to be a player in free agency, then maybe you, you can't make it for a move for Kevin, Kenneth Fareed and, and you just hold off. But I just, that means to me, if, if, if you can, you can get a Kenneth Fareed and still stay on this two track plan. If you try to go for a Jokic, I think you, you really almost have to start to look in exclusively at that younger group and try to build from there. It's a very tenuous situation for Danny Ainge, given the way that the CBA thinks it's going to it's going to to play out for them, or the way it's looking. Well, and they're clearly going in the other direction. They're not going with the youth movement entirely. Not that they don't want to hold on to the young players that have performed well but they're not going to all out commit to that. And it goes notwithstanding just what they did with James Young in the past week, since you and I last talked, the fact that James Young option did not get picked up. If they were committing to a full youth movement, you know, then there would be a a decision to, to push off pieces and then they never would have gotten Horford. They're 100% going in the other direction, not picking up James Young's option is all about cap flexibility. And to your Mm -hmm. point, the same thing with Kelly Olynyk, and does that make him a favor- favorable trade target come the NBA trade deadline? The truth is, it's almost senseless to talk about trades too much in depth, like what piece and this and that. Even with the Pelicans' slow start, I don't think they're going to rush to any judgment. Nobody is. It's too early in the season. And uh, cer- again, certainly that's a rough start for the Pelicans, but we're not going to see anything till at least December, late December, and probably mid-January is still too early. Almost everything, if anything, comes down to the very end of the deadline. So there'll be a lot of talk about this, but it's going to be a whole lot of no action for quite some time, and it's going to allow us to see this team get healthy again. I mean, obviously, before we close out the show, we'll make some more predictions. I've got one incorrect guess so far, but we really thought that the time off during this stretch would allow Marcus Smart to get back up to speed without having to... Um, you know, do it in a game scenario where it could cost them some wins. We didn't think Horford and Crowder were going to be hurt again, but here we are. But ultimately, we this this group of time was supposed to allow Olenek to come back and Smart to come back and really gel, and we didn't see that. And I'm wondering what your think, what your thoughts are about the game against the Nuggets because really they had you know they had a little bit of time off, not a ton, but Friday and Saturday that's a two days off. I, 
there was energy, but Brad said the reason the defense is bad is because nobody's in the right spots. And it, it, what is that? This team has played well enough together. Even somebody like Tyler Zeller should at least know where to be. And I don't even think he got physically dominated in this game. He did in the Cleveland game, but not in the game against the Nuggets. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think their front line is a is a punishing, you know, front line the way that Cleveland's is. I mean, Tristan Thompson can can bully anybody in this league. Uh, there, you know, no, Nurkic, Jokic, <laughs> so hard to say. Uh, no, you know, neither either one of those uh, kitches, uh, neither one of those guys is going to really just you know embarrass you. I mean, they both can play. They both can play well. I'm not saying they're not good players, but but neither one of them are that punishing type player. But Zeller, I mean. <laughs> He still wasn't good defensively is my point. I'm done. I'm done with Tyler Zeller. I'm just so done with him right now. I need to not see him for a little while. And he, and the thing is he may come out and get 16 points the next game and have like five rebounds. I mean, he has that ability, but I've seen way too much Tyler Zeller right now. Far too much. He has these opportunities once every 10 games to, to really kind of shine. But on a on a game to game, this is this is why he didn't play more last year. This isn't that, that this wasn't a you know let's blame David Lee. He's not that great. He really why, isn't. Why aren't we seeing more of the Atlanta Hawks and the playoffs adjustment with Jarebko at the four and Johnson at the five? Because really, Brad yeah. Brad has not started that. And even in the game against the Nuggets, you saw Jarebko hit a couple of three-pointers. I believe it was two. I don't know. I'll have to look it up while we're talking. But I know he hit one open one that that's really all this team needs to do. The Nuggets game more very scarily looked more like the three-point shooting team we saw last year and not the one that came out red hot through the first five games. I'm failing to understand the Tyler Zeller you know, significance or, or experience on this team. I, I just he's a point. You know, he can he can roll, he can run the floor. He's a big body, but that's it. He's not giving them rebounding. He's not giving them what they. I mean, to me, I agree with you. Go small, play. You know, play. Uh, you know, Amir at the five. Put. Put Jarebko at the four. Have Zeller go against the second unit bigs. I think you're right. Keep one big on the floor and, and go small all the way through maybe. I mean, I think that they're, they're so worried about losing the defensive glass in particular that they are – I think Brad is trying to to have Zeller in there as as the solution to that and double up with and on the bigs with he and Amir, but – I just I don't think that that's the solution. You know, on a day when when Avery Bradley is is leading the team in three of the last four games, I mean that's just not great. You know, and and I don't think that that's the solution to the problem. The, to me, the solution to this problem is spread them out. Try to do what you can on what with your wings, which is your strength. You just don't have the bigs right now to play that way. They're they're thin in the big man position, and until Kelly Olynyk and, and Al Horford return, arguably your two best big men, uh, you're going to have to go to a plan B. And and to me, Tyler Zeller should truly be Plan Z. 
Well, let's put it this way, and then we're going to go to a quick programming announcement. But Jarebko at least gets you as much rebounds as Tyler Zeller does. And the fact that he can knock down the open three at least spaces the floor so that Isaiah Thomas can be more effective. And Isaiah's been pretty miserable from beyond the arc the last few games as well. But we could talk about that when we come back real quick. Also, just make sure you're following CLNS Radio's Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans, and download the app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Radio in your app marketplace and our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio, for all those high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and, of course, the Garden Report with Jared Jared Weiss and, quite often, our very good friend Jimmy Toscano has been there wearing their or soon to be wearing their Indochino suit so I can't wait to uh can't wait to see that I actually talked to Jared the other day and he said he was going in for his his free suit and speaking of free stuff I'm wearing my movement watch and uh, I know they're not a sponsor of this show but they sponsor the network um I did buy one of the watches it's awesome I mean for a hundred dollars I got a really slick watch it's got it's the chrono white and black face with a tan leather strap and I joked uh, during the show John with Mark Spears about how I look like a hipster now because I'm combining that black <laughs> and brown and then I said well wait a second I'm over 40 so probably I look like I'm just trying too hard but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there anyway mvmtwatches.com forward slash Celtics beat uh, we do have a promo there as well 15% off your first order with free shipping and John and I have a new sponsor coming up in a couple of weeks we're making our meals with Blue Apron right now. So stay tuned for that because I believe next week's show uh, is when the promo will start. We'll tell you a little yep. bit about the meals that we ate and uh, and I'm telling you it's good food. I've gotten through two of the four four meals but we are giving away free meals with your subscription as well. So that'll be coming up. Details in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to come right back. Just a quick another word from our newest sponsor one of our favorites audible.com and then we'll come back to close out the show all right we're back from the break and just before we we headed out john and i were talking about isaiah thomas and the three-point shooting because really a couple of bombs the last two games uh one for four against the nuggets oh for six against cleveland cleveland really does just give him fits from beyond the arc. I know in the playoffs, once they realized he was their only effective scorer down the stretch, he found it very difficult to find daylight at the rim as well. But pretty traditionally, I think he struggled from beyond the arc with Cleveland. But it carried over against the Nuggets and the whole team really struggling. 8 for 25 in the game against Denver. Only Gerald Green... And Jonas Jerebko, and then obviously Demetrius Jackson hit one in garbage time. But really only Gerald Green and, and Jerebko had a nice night. Bradley was even worse, one for five from beyond the arc. Are you concerned? I brought it up before, but, but we had to finish the conversation about Zeller. But are you concerned that, that this team may come back to earth with a three-point shooting? And what I mean by back to earth is not within the confines of normal NBA averages, but back to the team that found it difficult to generate offense last season because it continued to take but not make three-point shots, John. Well, I think I think they were taking the shots that were there as part of their offense. And so 
you know, I don't think – I, I think part of that was, you know, Marcus Smart had a bad year shooting the ball too. Let's let's not forget that. I mean, a lot of his shots last year were in the flow of the offense. Some were forced, but he was taking them and just missing them. I don't think that what they're – what they've seen thus far this year or what we've seen thus far this year is, is cause for concern that, you know, we're going to somehow – <laughs> well, tomorrow we're going to wake up and we're, we're no longer going to be Dwayne Wade in, in the bull of the first Bulls game anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen to us. I think what, what's more likely is we're going to figure out that we're supposed to defend. Um, and so I, I'm not too worried about that. I think both Isaiah, uh, has, has, you know, hasn't really shot his, his usual form. I mean, he's, He's only shooting about 32%. Before tonight's game, he's 32% shooting. He's a 36% shooter from three career. I don't think that that's, that's necessarily cause for concern. I think it's also just flow. It's, it's building some sort of chemistry. I mean, you pull four, you know, three guys out of a eight, nine, ten man rotation, particularly where it's your best player and your third best player. And maybe your fourth best player, if you include Smart's absence to start the year, we haven't really seen the the Celtics team that we expected to see yet this season. So I think there's that, and then I think there's some some consistency. We talked about that in the preseason, needing to see that all the way through the roster. So I think all of those factors, the chemistry and everything, really play a factor in in getting that that three point percentage uh, higher. I think. If anything, it's cause for maybe some optimism as we, you know, kind of round here into the middle of November. Well, and, you know, to the point from before, the spacing without Horford is no good and they need Kelly Olenek to help boost that number as well and draw pressure away from the other perimeter shooters. When you talk about preseason conversations, one of the big ones we made about Al Horford was how much he would draw attention away from the other to, uh, draw the defenders away from the other three-point shooters like Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas. And now with the concussion or the concussion protocol, it has created a situation where Al Horford's not on the floor and now maybe they're experiencing that. And if there is any kind of return to last season's baseline, it may be as a direct result of Horford not being in the lineup. Another player who has lit up the, uh, the three point line this season was Jay Crowder. So no coincidence, both of those players essentially going out at the same time. I know Jay played a little bit of that, uh, maybe almost the first half of the Chicago Bulls game on the rematch Wednesday night. But next thing you know, Jalen Brown is starting against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And while he had a very nice night from beyond the arc that evening, uh, not really known for being a three-point shooter and thrust into two starts in Crowder's absence. So I think there is a, a big impact on that three-point shooting coming from there. But that only goes back to the point that I made when we were talking about the big man rotation, which is to say, why the hell is Tyler Zeller the center and Amir Johnson the power forward? Why isn't Jarebko at power forward and Amir Johnson at center to start the games? Just to just to get some space. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that I, there are things that Tyler Zeller does well, but to me, that's more of a 
something you throw into a game plan into the middle. It's like, you know, bringing in a, a submarine pitcher, <laughs> you know, as, you know, after you get the flame throwing, you know, you get the flame throwing starter and then you, you bring in the knuckleballer. You know, it's kind of like a change of pace type thing. That That's why you bring Tyler Zeller in the game. To me, like, this team's best units are going small, going, you know, spreading out around the perimeter, have one big, and everybody else, you know, and I, I don't count Jerebko in this case as a big, per se, maybe a big in the Celtic system, but spread them out, go small, use your strength. You have the smallest, I mean, without your two best bigs, you're, you entirely, and, and one of your best you know, wing players, you've all got, you got smalls. So spread them out, use your one big, and try to try to find some way to build space and attack the rim. But we're not doing that right now. We're throwing Tyler Zeller and Amir out at the same time. I, I just I don't understand that from Brad. I don't I don't know where he's going with that. I don't know if he's trying to to rescue Tyler Zeller's game or what it is, but it ain't working. And it, and maybe make him tradable, right? It, so that he's not just a right. contract. I mean, it's a matter of convenience in some ways, just because maybe they can look at it and say, really, is, is Zeller any worse than Jarebko? Is he any better? They're both going to have to get those minutes anyway. There's really only three healthy big men. When they used to go small, it meant that they would send somebody like Crowder in at the four. They've experimented and definitely in the preseason with Jalen Brown at the four, but both of his starts have been at the small forward position. And really since the regular season started, they haven't put him, maybe a couple of spot minutes, but no significant minutes at power forward. Yeah. I mean, he did get matched up in the, in the opener, um, with, with Trevor Booker, who's, who's, Booker's having a great year, by the way. I mean, he's, he's, he's eating everybody up. Um, so I don't think that was a reason to, to maybe stay with him over the well, long run. Well, he covered run, Kevin Love in the Cleveland game too. I know they switched true. him over, but, that's it, true. but it's not like he's consistently the power forward in a small lineup, like they experimented with it almost exclusively in the preseason. Yeah, you know, I, I think part of that's matchups too. And, but it goes back to the first thing you're saying. You've played Chicago twice out of the six games you have. That's a big team. That's a team that, that plays a couple of, of bigs, um, you know, legitimate bigs, I guess, uh, in, in more of a traditional sense. Um, maybe not so much when Miritich is in there, but, but at least he's, you know, 6'10, 6'11. So he's got some traditional stuff. But so what? That's the same point you're making about the Denver Nuggets too, is like, why are you matching the other team's strength by rolling out Zeller and Amir Johnson? Why aren't you going small spacing it out and playing to your strength instead? It is curious. It is curious. It, it is, but, but I think what, at least in those three, you know, three games, you got the Bulls twice and you got Cleveland. Those are giant bruising teams. I don't think that's the norm, I guess is what I'm saying. When we get into the heart of a regular NBA, you know, season, for example, we're going to have the, the Warriors here coming up this week and, or excuse me, next week, is it? And, you know, are they going to attack that the same way? I don't think so. I think you're going to see more, you know, small ball lineups. But how, speaking of, how the hell did the Lakers beat the Golden State Warriors? And soundly. Soundly. 20 points. I mean, that, you know, hey, 
there's a reason <laughs> Walton, Luke Walton, he knows he knows where all the the bodies are buried there. I guess <laughs> for the Dude, Warriors, I'll tell you what else. Good He's stuff. just a flat out impressive coach. Yeah. You got to take your hat off to Luke Walton. I mean, look at the start of the Golden State Warriors this season versus last year. And I get it; they returned a team that was you know pretty comfortable with each other, had was coming off a championship, lots of lots of pride, lots of ego, lots of confidence. But Luke Walton, you know, he was at the helm. And remember, they didn't lose until what was it a Milwaukee game? At the game after they played their first matchup against the Celtics last year before they incurred their first loss on the season. But look, cannot downplay that Luke Walton might actually end up being a better coach over his career than Steve Kerr. And the fact that look, the Lakers are also benefiting from the fact that Kobe's not on the team anymore. Like all exactly. of a sudden every there's opportunity. People who were hungry can actually legitimately go out and be hungry. And Julius Randle has now got a second season in a row where he's been healthy. So he's starting to perform and then they have Larry Nance Jr. who I know it's an odd combo for the two of them to be out there, but you know, at the same time, they're making it work somehow. And at the end of the day, I, I found myself almost getting excited that the Lakers were getting good as the Celtics were getting good. Because all I can do is dream of the fact that maybe when these two teams resurge, you know, maybe when the Celtics resurge to championship caliber, they might still wind up meeting the Lakers in the finals. That would be awesome. I mean, if there's, if there's any kind of, you know, I don't know, if there's any, if there's any kind of hatred towards the Lakers, there's also a love to hate the Lakers, which is why who wouldn't want to see us play them again in the in the postseason over the next five, six years if both teams were to to grow into that that level. Obviously it's not happened in the next couple of years, but five years down the line, you can definitely see both of these teams still being very solid. Well and I and I think right now I I'm kind of enjoying the Lakers resurgence a bit because <laughs> It really, like as you said, it points the finger at Kobe and it points the finger at Byron Russell. Uh, excuse me, Byron Scott. <laughs> Brian Russell. That was a Byron good one, Scott. though. That was a good poll. Um, it points the finger at those guys for how awful they were last year and how awful they've been over the last few years. So I can I can live with this for now. But you know, if we get to midseason and, you know, hey, isn't it great – uh, I'll have enough of the Lakers resurgence. And I think that, again, they're going to be another team that's going to f- kind of recede back. But right now, the Mavericks are one and five. Timberwolves are one and four. I think those teams are going to be better, uh, at the end of the day. I think the Rockets will improve. I mean, I think there's a lot of teams that, that are going to kind of, you know, pick things up. But the West is not what the West was. The West has really fallen back, and maybe a team like the Lakers, this is a time for them to to have some bit of a resurgence here. Um, you know, you want I think the Kings are going to be ultimately pretty disappointing in the end. Um, you know, they've they're three and five. They've played a lot of games so far, but that's another team I think that's that's primed for an implosion. Um, pretty soon so don't we say that every year that's like that's like death and taxes all of a sudden for recent history in the nba it's true and you know at at some point they've got to trade boogie and as i said this is the sometime between now and the trade deadline that's when it's got to go down this for them if they're gonna ever trade him it's between now and february you think it's going to happen this season? Probably because that's when there's still le- life left on the contract. I mean, exactly. at this point, after what happened with Kevin Durant, 
trading for an all-star and taking your chances in their contract year, it's pretty much out the window. Especially a guy who's as mercurial as, as Bookie Cousins is. To me, if I'm, if I'm Sacramento, I'm dealing him before February. If, if we're not in the playoff hunt at all, and, you know, right now they're, <laughs> it's even foolish to even talk about, but, you know, they're, they're basically kind of sort of a game back, I guess, or half a game back of the playoffs right now. If they're, if they're not in it in February, which I don't think they will be. I think they should be dealing him, you know, and by then the CBA stuff will be hammered out. We'll know exactly what direction they're going in. And if the Celtics, to me, that's a better world. I'd rather the Celtics overpay in trade, just as, as you know, Steve Bullpett told us a year ago. I think they'd rather overpay in trade to get the guy they want than take a swing and hope for free agency. It may have worked with Al Horford. I'm not so sure it's going to work again. And, and I think the odds are, are slimmer and slimmer in trying to get the right amount of cap space uh, to make a run. So You're me, better off securing yeah. the player that you need for the team if you can and mm-hmm. go after it. The question will always be, are you giving too, up too much? And right. I'm just going to tie it right back to Jalen Brown because we teased it earlier. He had really, I mean, that game against LeBron, his Amazing. first start of his career, game five of his career, a guy who couldn't shoot and or at least supposedly couldn't shoot. And, yes, he's still going to struggle, but the form is there. It's all about confidence, and that is the takeaway from that 19-point game against LeBron was in that moment he rose to the occasion, and it was all confidence and no fear. And so, yeah, the the Denver Nuggets game was definitely a letdown, one for seven from the field. Obviously, going to bring his shooting percentages back to what we probably what probably would be a fair expectation for his first season. And we're going to see the ups and downs, no doubt. And we've we've seen them game in and game out. Sometimes, but that performance really teases you for what he really has the ability to be in this league, but he's also the number one trade chip. And the better and the more he does that, the more other teams are going to say, nope, we want Jalen Brown or no deal, which has me terrified because you know, like, I am all in on Jalen Brown. I want to see him in Celtics green the same way we saw Paul Pierce in Celtics green for so many years. Yeah, I'd be worried. (laughs) <laughs> I'd be worried. I, I really would. I should I be just, worried. Absolutely. I, I, you know, that game on on Thursday night. You know, I like to give you a lot of a little flack for it, and uh, it's a lot of fun. But that's the type of thing. It's it's not just that he, the highlight, the vinable or or now jiffable uh, moments <laughs> yeah, that you see. <laughs> I don't know. People are still throwing out vines. I don't know when they cut that off, but but it's still out there. People are like, "I'm hanging on to the last day." I'm thinking they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna reverse course on it just because why not? But anyway, listen. It's to me. It you know the 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 rebound and and the finish over LeBron. Those are great, and it's you know he's athletic and isn't it cool? The reason why you want a player, a guy like that has got to be good in the numbers. He's got to be good in between those things. You know, Zach Levine was winning the dunk contest, but he was doing things in between those that now makes you think, well, he's a pretty intriguing player. And that's where Jalen Brown's got to be. He's got to be more than highlights. 
and he has been. I mean, his his <laughs> I think his offensive uh, offensive box his uh, efficiency rating, his offensive efficiency rating was number two in the league. Yeah, but before the game. And I think that was via Comcast yeah, Sportsnet. Night. Right, right yeah. before the game last night against the Nuggets, he was number two in the league. And it wasn't from a shortage of minutes either. That's, he's a rotation player at his current minutes. He may not be, uh, by the end of the season, depending on Crowder and everybody's health. He may, his minutes may fall out where you can say, yeah, statistical anomaly, always playing against the bench. But through the first five games, he's played, a, a, he's, you know, he's got one start on, well, now he has two, but before that game, there were there was only five games. He had a start under his belt, and he played and matched up against a lot of top flight talent and a lot of starters on the court. Yeah, no, and, and he's it's it's impressive. It's impressive it, for statistically. It's been impressive what he's done more so than than the highlight reel dunks and the you know the plays and all this. Now the question is, can he find consistency with that? And he has a, some consistency, but you're going to have other players. You know, Olenek's going to take minutes. Smart's going to take minutes. Um, you know, Crowder is going to come back. Horford's going to, I mean, he's going to have to find that time to be as productive and continue to earn those minutes. And we saw, you know, against the Nuggets, Terry Rozier kind of got pushed out of things a bit when he wasn't getting it done there early on defensively. And Demetrius Jackson was taking his time. So, these rookies don't have a stranglehold on these minutes. And the way that the the team is defending right now, anybody can take anybody's minutes if they show they can defend. I don't think that the Jalen Brown isn't probably too much of an issue of that, but he could be. So he's got to keep the effort going. He's got to keep growing and learning. He will. I've, I have a lot of faith in him. But you're right. First name they're going to be bringing up, it's not going to be Isaiah Thomas. It's not going to be Al Horford. It's going to be, you know, Jalen Brown. And, <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. yeah, and the Nets picks. It's, the price will be high. All right. So as we wrap up, the only other thing I want to say about the, the statistics on Jalen Brown is it's amazing he could rate that high amongst the league, not just the team, but amongst the league, given how many mistakes he has made because he's made his right. share of mistakes during that stretch as well. So what it says is when he's good, he is really good. And that, that passes the eye test. I think that's how everybody sees it. When he's bad, he's really bad. But when he's good, he's really good. So hopefully it does stay somewhat consistent. So, John, we've been doing it every week. Let's just keep it up. Let's keep making some predictions. Um, we got three games on tap. So we have the Washington Wizards on, I believe, Wednesday. Then a day off. Well, so they have two days off. Then they play the Wizards. A day off again. Then they play the Knicks. And that one's at home, and then it's a back-to-back. It's a home and away. They go out to Indiana and uh, play on Saturday. My predictions, I actually already gave them on Celtics beat Sunday morning with Larry H. Russell. I think they take Washington and New York, but I think the Pacers team actually could give them uh, a little bit of trouble. I even think that Al Jefferson might give the team a little fits off the bench. And it is the second night of a back-to-back on a home and away. So I'm going to go – I've predicted 2-1 and one every single week. I was correct the first week they were 2-1, and one, but then this week they were 1-2 and two instead. I'm going to stay with the pattern, though. I'm saying 2-1. and one. They win the first two, lose the last one against the Pacers on the road. How about you? We go and run this town. Three and L, baby. That's what you did last week, and they went one and two. 
I didn't say they were going to beat Cleveland. No, it was week one. Week one, you said three and yeah. zero. That's yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. No, we both said three and, two and one. Two, uh, They're not one losing to friggin' Wizards. That ain't happening. They're not losing to the Knicks. That ain't happening. And the Pacers are the most overrated team. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Charles Barkley, in the league. I'm saying three and zero. Bring the heat. They're going to respond. I think they're going to respond. I think they're going to bring some defensive intensity to to uh, the Wash Washington game down in down in DC, and I think that'll carry through. The Knicks are are uh, they haven't figured it out yet by any stretch. They played well against the Bulls, but they're they're kind of a mess. And the Pacers are they're kind of in the same boat the Celtics are, which is they're still they're trying to feel their way through. If we get Horford back, we get Olenek back. It, it could be kind of a filling out games, but I think really, especially with the Knicks and the and the Heat and the Pacers, I should say, both of those teams are still in the same boat the Celtics are. I think they've got more horses to get it done. So three and zero, three and zero, baby, and and then you know, who knows? The following week they start off with New Orleans, so they could have a little little bit of a run here. And and the Mavericks haven't been so good either. So if I'm right, and they keep rolling that in the next week. They could be going in actually feeling pretty good about themselves before they play against the Warriors. At least they get a day off. But I think you're right. I think the players will be getting back towards the end of the week and that Indiana Pacers game, and it could be a feeling out game, and I think that might be where the misstep is. Hopefully the Nuggets game was the wake-up call that they needed. They still got some time off, and they're trying to gel. The rotations weren't established even before the injuries came. I think the Pacers could still bite them, but then they get a couple of wins, and who knows? Golden State hasn't figured things out. That game looks more and more possibly a win or could be a win if they do hit their groove between now and then and find some health. That's going to do it for this week. We're going to be back next Monday. A reminder, this broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin. That's me and at CSL underscore Duke. That's my co-host, That's John. That's yeah. I wondered if you'd step in. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review because John and I want to know what you really, really think about the show. And if you think there's something we should do differently, we will do it differently. Throw your ideas at us. Uh, today's show brought to you by Audible.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show, Celtic Stuff Live, and the entire CLNS radio network. And really, a big thanks to the loyal audience who makes it all worthwhile because we couldn't do it without you. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.